I don't really follow football, but even I remember the moment the news broke. Back in the autumn of 2020, it spread like wildfire across social media, and it was so unlikely that everyone seemed to be talking about it. Two huge screen stars were buying a small-town football club in Wales. This was either an acute form of lockdown madness or the start of a Hollywood film. I've got with me Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, the new owners of Wrexham AFC. What was the connection between you and Wrexham Football Club? We had no direct connection. It was just a feeling. What me and my dad thought was because Wrexham's red and Deadpool's red. That's the real reason, sorry. (laughs) two years that have followed, the new owners have begun to turn around the fortunes of their football team, but also of the rest of Wrexham. Who would have thought Ryan Reynolds would be wanting to come to little old Wrexham? It makes people proud to be from Wrexham again, and it puts us back on the map. It's not just the locals who flock to matches now to see a sprinkling of stardust in the stands. Suddenly, America is tuning in thanks to a rousing docu-series. Our new show on FX is called Welcome to Wrexham, a docu-series centred in Wrexham, a working-class town in North Wales in the United Kingdom. And tonight will be no different as the cameras turn to the action on the pitch to see if Wrexham can pull off a major upset in the FA Cup. We're not going into the game to to sit back and soak up pressure. You know, we're going to have a real go at them and that's what cup football is all about. We're looking to give Sheffield United as many problems as we can. Can they pull it off? What's happened in the two years since Tinseltown rolled into a Welsh football club? And will Wrexham ever be the same again? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the Hollywood fairy tale of Wrexham Football Club. I'm Gregor Robertson. I'm a writer with The Times. I've got a particularly keen eye on the Football League and the lower leagues and some of the off the beaten track stories that maybe other people don't tell. Gregor is also very modest. He's not just a football writer for The Times, he also used to be a professional football player. Back then, he played against Wrexham, the team at the centre of this story, and he went back to the ground just over a week ago, but this time he was in the stands. I was there for the FA Cup four-round match against Sheffield United last weekend. The drive into Wrexham is is beautiful, beautiful rolling hills, uh, wonderful countryside, and one of the first landmarks you're hit with as you arrive in Wrexham, certainly from the south, is the racecourse ground, the home of Wrexham. And it's been their home for over 100 years, 
and on last Sunday it was crackling with excitement. There was a 10,000 sellout crowd, the BBC cameras were in town and the Canadian actor Ryan Reynolds was in town too, one of Wrexham's co-owners. All with the kind of hope and anticipation of, a, of an FA Cup shock and they very nearly got it. Why was that game in particular so important? Why do you end up with BBC cameras and, and a sellout crowd? It's a bit of a cliche, but it's, the, it's all about the magic of the FA Cup. The magic happens every year. But some magic can last a lifetime. Sheffield United are three divisions and 70 places higher than Wrexham in the football pyramid. Yet, Wrexham are obviously embarking on this new story. They have lots of investment and everyone just kind of smelled the possibility of an upset. It's a classic David versus Goliath story, <laughs> but you guys know this more than anybody yeah. on earth, that this is football, this is yeah. the beautiful game, and absolutely anything can happen. And I, I mean, was there a real chance that they could, and, and what would happen if they'd won, I mean? Uh, they would have reached the fifth round for the first time in 26 years. And what actually happened? We got a classic. Sheffield United took the lead after 63 seconds. Wrexham lost two of their defence in the injury in the opening 10 minutes. It was a disastrous start. And then they they put on a rousing comeback. They they went 2-1 up. Sheffield United equalised. And then four minutes from time, Wrexham scored to make it 3-2. It looked like we were going to get the blockbuster ending that Ryan Reynolds was, <laughs> was yearning sitting in the stands. But football's really that simple and... Sheffield United scored a, an equaliser in the 95th minute. So to, close. Yeah. And at the same time, there must have been people watching Ryan Reynolds. It's not often you get a Hollywood star in town. How was he reacting throughout the match? He looked like a kind of a giddy fan, a giddy child almost, who had just discovered football. And I, I suppose he is, in the <laughs> sense that he's openly admitted until his investment in Wrexham, he knew nothing about it. He also tweeted afterwards that it was... The, the most exciting thing he'd ever seen with ever in capital letters. And he also joked that I think there was a report later that this game was the most viewed game in America that weekend because the games are streamed on ESPN. And I think he made a little joke that we thought the game was so good that we, we decided to have a sequel. So, <laughs> But remarkable that it's the most streamed match in America. It's remarkable that Wrexham games are streamed in America full stop. <laughs> well, that too, yeah. This is the fifth year. I mean, Brighton were playing Liverpool that weekend, for example, and more people tuned in to watch Wrexham because of these two guys and their celebrity status and the documentary and all that. That's all interest that's drummed up. And they were the most viewed game that weekend. I mean, this sounds, it sounds a bit like a movie. You've got the crackle of excitement, you've got the atmosphere, you've got a movie star in tow. Gregor, ju just to understand how remarkable this is, just step back and tell us a bit more about Wrexham. Tell us about the place at the heart of this new following. Wrexham is a, a former mining town, coal and lead. It has many breweries as well, but it's, it's very much a post-industrial town. Its economy shifted towards tech and manufacturing, but the people of Wrexham would would be absolutely fine with me saying that the town has fallen on hard times over the past few decades, really. Mm. 
I don't want to be disrespectful to, to Wrexham. It's, it's, it's similar to many northern cliches that are left-behind post-industrial northern towns. It's, it's the truth. There's boarded-up shops. Not a great deal of sign of life in terms of a, an economy. And it's quite run down. And that's why I think this has been such a, a cause for excitement. Has football always played an important part in Wrexham? Yes. I mean, Wrexham is 158 years old as a football club. Like many, many towns kind of all across the UK in that the football club is very often at the heart of a community. It's one of the only ways in which several thousand people congregate every weekend, every other weekend. And it's actually Wrexham is slightly different in that it, there are not that many major football clubs in yeah, Wales. Yeah, it's a huge so area. there's a big catchment area. You often get buses full of supporters coming 70 miles from other parts of Wales, two games. So it represents North Wales and it's been a big part of the town's identity. That's remarkable. And in terms of this stadium, 158 years, it must be one of the oldest. Tell us a bit about the ground. It's the oldest international stadium in the world. And wow. it had fallen on hard times as well. It's decaying. One of the stands was not even open for use and hadn't been for 15 years. It still creates a, a magnificent atmosphere. Lots of modern stadiums are great and they're safe, they're gleaming, they're, they have all the facilities, but they lose a little bit of that soul and it's still you know, very much a, a kind of relic of the past. And tell us a bit about Wrexham, the football club, until it was suddenly brought up and had this sort of sprinkling of, of glamour thrown at it. What had been happening to the club? I mean, who, who had it been owned by and how was it doing financially? So Wrexham had been supporter-owned since 2006 and before that, a former chairman essentially tried to evict the club from the race course and he transferred the freehold of the stadium and the ground into a separate company owned by him and he was going to redevelop the land. So the fans fought tooth and nail to, to save their club in it, but the upshot was that it, it came into fan ownership, which means that they were fan-owned and volunteer-run, which gave them you know great autonomy over the fortunes of the football club, but they couldn't compete, and they went through administration. There have been very few kind of highlights since then. They tried and failed to win promotion 14 times and counting. There was a, one period in... 2011, where they raised over £100,000 in the space of seven hours. Wow. To prevent the club from being liquidated and and to pre- prevent their expulsion from the league. I mean, so, amazing that it came down to the last seven hours, but also amazing that they managed to raise that money. Yeah, yeah. This is what it means. It, it's the most important thing in, in a lot of supporters' lives. There are stories of people remortgaging their house to, to really? donate money to that fund. So, um, yeah, it's been grim. It's been a tough old time for Wrexham and the season before the takeover when the season was curtailed because of the pandemic they finished 19th which is the the lowest position in their 150 year history They got the, their lowest position in the league in history the, the pandemic was happening and then suddenly there's a glimmer of light the club is approached in September 2020. Take us back to that moment. Just tell us what happened. The club was approached by an agent, essentially, acting on behalf of two 
well-known individuals of high net worth. It's four o'clock. I'm John Pienaar. This is Times Radio Drive. Coming up, we'll be hearing from the Wrexham Football Club fans who've accepted the Hollywood stars Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelleny as club owners. Ryan Reynolds is the star of the Deadpool movie franchise. Wait! You may be wondering why the red suit. Well, that's so bad guys can't see me bleed. He's also a very successful businessman. He has a stake in Aviation American Gin and he also has stakes in telecoms, TV production companies. He's very canny at building brands. But first and foremost, he's known as a comedy actor. And Rob McElhenney is the star and, and writer of America's longest running sitcom, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Not quite as big here. There are, there's still a running joke now that kind of Ryan Reynolds is the one that everyone knows and, and there's his mate Rob. So. <laughs> hey, everybody. We're back here with Ryan Reynolds and the other guy. But two guys with no knowledge of football. No knowledge Both of... of them. Neither of them really knew football before no. this. The story is that Rob McElhenney's co-writer on the sitcom, Humphrey Kerr, is, who's an old Etonian, big Liverpool fan. He often used to sit between writing days in the office watching Liverpool games on his laptop <laughs> and Rob would often come over and say, what's this? Take the mickey that there's very few goals scored in football, which is often the bugbear of Americans who are struggled to get into, into soccer. And then Humphrey suggested that Rob should go and watch the Netflix series Sunderland Till I Die, which is a Flying the World documentary, which was really well received. Rob loved it. And he said, right, we should we should buy a football club. <laughs> Just like that? <clears throat> yeah. So Humphrey looked at a few clubs around the kind of fourth and fifth year of English football, but Wrexham ticked a lot of boxes for them because of their history, their size and potential. And that's why I believe sports are for everybody, because it's just storytelling. It's context, too. It's just the context is everything, right? I mean, it's like so much of the sports we watch in America are about what does this person overcome to get to the place that they're yeah. in. Yeah. And that's what draws us in. It's like Rob's saying, all of that storytelling. And our show focuses on the Wrexham community as much as it does the club and as much as it does our experience. Trying and also, Rob McElhenney has been very open about saying what he saw Scope and telling a, a story about a working class town and what the football club means to those people and to that area. When they bought it, was there always the sense that there would be a documentary that accompanied them Absolutely. buying it? That was always there as part of the Absolutely. proposal. I've been open about it from day one. When they put their offer to the, the club supporters trust, even all of that was filmed and they, had, they were open about it saying, look, whether you say yes or no, this is part of the story. And as soon as they were given the green light, the cameras turned up and they were filming on location and they've been there ever since. Coming up, Hollywood may be rewriting the script for Wrexham, but will their glamorous new owners make them the villains for the rest of the footballing world? That's after a quick message from a colleague. I'm Matt Lawton and I'm the Chief Sports Correspondent at The Times. As sports journalists, it's important that we look beyond what we're seeing on the pitch, look beyond the action and hold those in power to account. 
It's essential that we scrutinise, we ask tough questions, we investigate areas where we may believe there's corruption. We can only ask those questions, we can only pursue those kind of stories thanks to the subscribers at The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Gregor, tell us about the moment it was announced. You know, when did you first hear about it? And what was what was the reaction? I mean, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was bizarre. It was bizarre for everyone. I mean, I think it would be most bizarre for Wrexham supporters. And the question was, why Wrexham? And only as the story has progressed and you've seen already the uplift and the energy around the race course... They were told there would be an immediate £2 million cash injection and the crowds haven't doubled and they could treble if they had room. There's a kind of looming symbol of the future, which is there's a pile of rubble behind one goal where the, the, the old cop stand used to stand, but it's been decaying and unused for 15 years. It wasn't safe and that's now been demolished and they're preparing to, to build a new 5,500 seater stand there. But when you spoke to people in Wrexham, they can't get a ticket now. Really? Uh, that, and that's such a change from just two years ago. The landlord at the, the Turf pub next door to the ground, he's featured in many, many episodes of the documentary and he now says he serves tourists from America on a daily basis. There was a story of one American flying into Heathrow and getting a taxi directly from Heathrow to Wrexham <laughs> and turning up at the Turf and then asking for a pint at the bar and hoping they can get a ticket for the game. It should say, I keep saying town, they now have city status and a lot of people would think that that's possibly something to do with the uplift in the club's fortunes as well because really? three times since the millennium they've applied for city status, three times they've been turned down and then in December King Charles visited and he visited the racecourse stadium and he met the two new owners, he met Phil Parkinson, the manager and the players on the pitch it has created a kind of an uptick in tourism. People are drawn to celebrity. That's the reality of the kind of modern world. And once you see the energy that's already been built and created, you increasingly think that it was a very canny acquisition. And ultimately, Ryan Reynolds has said that this is a multi-decade investment. He says it's one of the one of the best things he's ever got involved with in his life. It's, it's one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me and genuinely one of the worst. Like, I love now love this sport so much that I hate it. <laughs> Caveat, he's an actor, and he maybe would say this, but he looks like he's captivated by this. And they want to tell a good story, a fairy tale story. I mean, it is a fairy tale. When this money comes in, you've suddenly got these big, famous owners, you've got an immediate injection of £2 million. What effect does it have on the club, on the footballers, on the quality of football they're playing? It had an immediate impact on the football side. Uh, Phil Parkinson was brought in as manager. He's a very experienced manager and he was seen as a coup. Still probably their most eye-catching signing was Paul Mullen, who was signed from Cambridge United in the summer of 2021. 
So what are your initial thoughts on uh, joining us here in North Wales? Thanks very much. Uh, buzzing to be here. It's obviously a big project that the owners have got going on at the club and it's exciting times for the fans and the community and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, being a part of that. He's just been League Two's top goal scorer, which is the division above the league that Wrexham are in, and he just helped Cambridge be promoted to League One, which is two divisions above Wrexham, and he had a, a host of suitors and he chose Wrexham. There's a scene in the Welcome to Wrexham documentary where the say the average earnings of a footballer at that level are, is £39,000 a year. In the Premier League it's, I think, £3.5 million a year. It's not always that low. Wrexham were one of the bigger clubs in that division anyway, so I would say, on average, £50,000 a year. I would say Paul Mullins would be closer to £300,000 a year, the biggest salary that's ever been paid in, wow. in the National League. Are all the players getting paid more? Yes, but not to that extent. Yeah. But it's important to say that Wrexham are not the first club to have done this. This happens very, very frequently in the National League because cost control protocols are, are much more lax, so it's easier for an investor to put in money and not have to adhere to strict financial regulations Salford City, who are owned by Gary Neville and four former Manchester United colleagues, they came up through this league. They spent a lot of money on players to, to do so. Mm. So Wrexham aren't the first club to do this. The difference is the celebrity factor and, to some extent, the size and history and the fact of Wrexham and the fact that they were on, at such a low ebb and there was something to revitalise there rather than building a club from scratch. And, Gregor, they're actually playing tonight. Tell us a bit about the match. This is the, the replay at Bramall, so it's going to be much harder going to Sheffield United Stadium. Um, but Wrexham have such a pedigree of FA Cup shocks that this is part of a kind of an opportunity for them to, to tell a new story. Would any of this have been possible without Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney? Certainly not in its current guise or trajectory. The club's been absolutely transformed, largely because of the documentary, which reportedly has earned Wrexham £4 million. They now have sponsorships with uh, commercial deals with TikTok, Expedia. Their social media following has become stratospheric. There's over a million followers on their platforms now. In December, they sold £330,000 worth of, of club merchandise, and that's unheard of at this level. So all of this is garnered by the celebrity status. Ultimately, someone else could have funded Wrexham. No one knows who that person was because Wrexham were supporter-owned and anyone who showed willing to, to buy the club, they either deemed not suitable mm. or they didn't have deep enough pockets to sustain a, a challenge even in the fifth year of English football. So no is the answer. This is a club transformed and it's pretty unique. I mean, it is remarkable and it does seem to have a real sense of momentum behind it and this sense of hope. And you can understand why clearly the fans would be delighted and it's been great for the club to have this investment. Has it been good for football more widely? Is there a sense that people with money turn up and the game transforms? It's um, it's complicated. I think that 
if you were to ask fans of other clubs in the National League, is it good in a division where there is only one automatic promotion spot that two Hollywood actors come along, put in their millions and completely skew the competitive balance of the league? Is that good? They would undoubtedly say no. On the other hand, it's projected this league onto a global platform. Ryan Reynolds also lobbied the National League, the governing body, to allow games to be streamed around the world because there was there was a ban. It's quite a kind of archaic system in which you're not allowed to show games at 3pm on a Saturday and the leagues above the National League have a platform where you can stream matches around the world for a fee. And the National League had none of this. So Ryan Reynolds lobbied the league and they gave in and so now clubs have an opportunity to gain more more revenue from that avenue. But football is also extremely tribal and there's a lot of jealousy. Are you hearing that? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to go far to hear that. Is it in some ways comparable to what happened at Newcastle when you suddenly get the Saudis turning up? We are going to start tonight with the big story behind me and a breakthrough in this long-awaited takeover bid of Newcastle United by a Saudi-led consortium. It's all Does it leave a bit of distaste for football purists? Undoubtedly for some people. Undoubtedly. I suppose fundamentally I personally would come back to the reasons for buying a football club and Saudi Arabia's reasons are... The term that everyone uses is sports washing. It's to kind of launder their image on a global stage. Let's be quite clear about why this is happening. The Saudi regime is not buying Newcastle United because they're great lovers of football. And it's certainly not because they've got a great concern for the people of Newcastle and their enjoyment of Newcastle United's fortunes. They Sometimes do- we're talking about geopolitical reasons when Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea, for example. I just fundamentally come back to the fact that these guys bought Wrexham to tell a story. There'll be those who will always say, what if they stop telling that story and they walk away? What happens to Wrexham then? That's always true. It can always happen. A benefactor will, will stop funding a club one day. But Wrexham will still have the, new, the shiny new stand. They'll still have hugely increased attendances. They will most likely be in a higher division. And ultimately, they will be an asset that's worth a lot more than they were two years ago. Perhaps Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds will sell the club and make a profit. But that's a long way down the line, it feels. It feels like they want to tell a good story, some might say an inspiring story as well. And there are undoubtedly, in my view, worse reasons for for buying a football club. True. You you actually played there as a professional footballer. You know, when you say it's a club transformed, just describe the <clears> difference. Yeah, I mean, I played played there for Grimsby Town, I think, in 2015. And I looked the other day, I think there were 4,600 people there. So well, well under half. Nowhere near the same kind of energy or atmosphere. They were a club that were struggling to compete with clubs that often were smaller than them. But they had an owner with deeper pockets. And that was the situation that they found themselves in. Was it, was it very different, you know, when you went and watched this match the other day, comparing it to when you were playing in 2015? In fairness, we drew 0-0, nil, so there were, there were six fewer goals scored that night. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the atmosphere was incredible. It was electric. It was a joy to be there because 
after a fan base has been in the doldrums for so long, you can't begrudge them. I can remember when we were nearly out of existence and the people of Wrexham, which is a very, a very industrial town that has gone through hard times, and we've struggled. We've done so much with regards to keeping the club going, but we were on a spiral where we were going out of existence because the money just wasn't there. Mm. We've always had the support. We just needed someone to believe in Wrexham. This level of excitement, hope and joy, that's what ultimately it means to be a fan. It's about community, the relationships you build around a football club, but ultimately it's about hope and entertainment and joy and pain. And there was pain. There was pain in the 95th minute. There will still be pain. Wrexham failed to win promotion last year. They reached the playoffs and they were ironically knocked out by my old team Grimsby Town. So it's not straightforward. It will not be straightforward still with this investment. But they now have hope where there was none. That's all for us here at the Racecourse Ground in Wrexham, Wales. Beautiful downtown Wrexham, Wales. I'm going to throw back to you, uh, Kay, over there at the, uh, at the studio. <laughs> I don't want to do this. That's perfect. That was good enough. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manvin Rana, and my guest, former professional footballer and weekly columnist for The Times, Gregor Robertson. You can find all of Gregor's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. You can also hear him regularly on our sister podcast, The Game, with new episodes landing every Monday and Thursday. The producers today were Sam Chantarasak and Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.